Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls, beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike. Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man that he is. They chat about topics like Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, sports, music, culture, and family life, and being a dad and a husband. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcasts. Episodes in English are out on Tuesdays, and episodes in Spanish are out on Wednesdays. Yo, it's Justin. You're listening to the G1 Cast presented by FightGameMedia.com. We're here for you with daily coverage of New Japan's G1 Climax 30. Today's Wednesday. We just finished. Did you hear that? Oh, for crying out loud. Sorry about that. A loud truck decided to pull up next to my apartment complex as I started the intro. All right. It's Wednesday. What was I saying? B-Block, day 15 at the brand new Yokohama Budokan Arena that was supposed to be used for the Olympics earlier this year. Yeah, it was a good show last night. It was stronger than the last B-Block show, I would say, for sure. As we inch closer and closer towards the finals, the last three shows this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And keep listening, because in a few minutes, I'm going to make an announcement with Carlos. We have a special guest for our Friday show. Don't miss out. Don't miss out. Okay, you can find Carlos on Twitter at CarlosToro360, on Fightful.com, on the Carlos Toro Media channel, on YouTube, And I'm Justin M. Nipper, K-N-I-P-P-E-R, on Twitter. Okay, uh, please don't forget, if you haven't already, please donate, if you can, to Jim Valley's GoFundMe. Links will be down in the show notes, okay? So, without further ado, let's go. We're back. G1 cast. Carlos. What did you think of last night overall in one word, if you had to describe it in one word? I guess it would have to be placeholder, if that would be the the correct word, because, <laughs> you know, or maybe even predictable, because you can pretty much have predicted every single tournament and match on the card without having to think about it too much. I mean, we are at the very end of the G1, and the B block is essentially a three-man race, which is really, if you break it down, it's a two-man race when you when it's all said and done. And this show, I don't want to say like it was a rel, it like it didn't matter, but I don't I don't think there was any combination of results aside from Sonata losing that would have impacted the larger picture of who was going to advance to the G1 finals. Yeah, the placeholder is appropriate, I would say. Um, while that said, I wouldn't say it's 
it was a bad show. I would definitely say it's better than the last beat block show as far as content and quality. But it, it, like you said, both kind of function as placeholder shows for what's going to happen this weekend. But in terms of quality wrestling, there were some really good matches on this. Um, did you have a favorite match off the top of your head? Sonata Tanahachi was, I think, in my opinion, the best match, but I really, really enjoyed the Toriano and Tetsuya Naito match, which was hilarious. Like, it's not it's not a match. It was a, a comedy skit, which I very much enjoyed. Well, that's OK. That's a good point. When we get to that, because I really couldn't I couldn't stand it. I couldn't get through it. Really? Yeah. Well, th- that's a good. OK, so we have some we have a lot of topics to touch on. So we're, we're going to. We're going to get into that a little bit. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't last night. I don't know what it was. I we'll get to it. We'll get to it. I have to mentally get to that point where I was last night. But I was just like, please end this. Please end this. But I'm in the minority because I think most people enjoy it in general. I mean, well, I want to wait a little bit. We're going to do some announcements first. So first, first big announcement. So. We're going to do the show tomorrow. We're not going to do a show. There's no, there's nothing going on tomorrow. Friday is a block finals. Okay. And that's going to be at Yogoku Kokokikan Sumo Hall. So this Friday, special guest on the G1 cast. Drum roll, please. We're going to have Fumi Saito on. Fumi Saito, author, historian, broadcaster, commentator, um, prolific author, yeah, he's going to join us. He's going to be at the show at Sumo Hall. And we're going to talk to him a few hours after the show to get his take on it. And we'll probably talk about some other things too. Carlos, are you excited for that? God, I when you, when you first told me that Fumi was going to be on the show, I could not be... I was so excited. Like, I was like jumping up and down that, you know, that we're just going to get... We're going to get to talk to Fumi about, about the G1. I'm very, I feel lucky to talk to him, you know, regularly and he's taught me a lot and I think he can teach a lot of people even more and more about Japanese pro wrestling. I mean, he is, he's the key. He is like, he's a huge part of not only, uh, the, uh, Japanese wrestling scene, but even the territorial scene, like in the eighties, right before WWF blew up. I mean, he was in Minnesota, um, He's a very important part of this business, and we're very lucky to have him on later this week on the next show. So tune in for that. It's going to be great. I'm very excited. Carlos is excited. So that's the Friday show. Now, another little kind of announcement thing we have going on today. I'm just going to pull it up real quick, but we got a message from Mark in England. Hey, Mark. He had some thoughts on his mind. He wanted to get off his mind. They're kind of what we were talking about on previous shows. And they mainly had to do with what can we say? New Japan's uh, refereeing slash uh, how they deal with outside interference uh, or how they've been dealing with it. Um, I'm not going to read the entire message because it was very detailed and uh, there's a lot of, uh, Great points, but I think I want to bring the, the main point that Mark said. He said what really annoyed him, especially in a fast-paced tournament like the G1, he said that 
opponents, you know, they wrestle each other before and after him. So if, if we're talking about something like Jay White, okay, if somebody's wrestling Jay White, it seems as though it's like they he does this in every match, yet wrestlers just they forgot that he does this. They they magically forget Jay uses his heel tack tactics. That's that's what uh, Mark said, and it infuriates him. Mark's very angry about this. Um, that's the general gist of it. Is basically and, and about just New Japan refs. We've talked about this before. Just being clueless, playing the fool constantly. So, and he, Mark also mentioned um, Suzuki's reaction uh, last night uh, with the Jay White match. But like his reaction was how I'm sure how Mark fell and how I feel sometimes after some of these matches where there's just so much um, outside interference and somehow Red Shoes or Marty Asami they're just they're just there to play a part instead of play a role. So, Carlos, I sent you Mark's message as well. What's your take on all of this? That the opinions of that we have shared throughout this entire G1 is not limited to just us. It really is a concern, one, with the New Japan refs being as clueless and as nonchalant about the rules and DQs as they are and historically have been. And, and I really agree with you on the whole – on the – on the whole topic of, you know, wrestlers when they're going up against guys who you know are going to try to cheat and they don't do nothing about it. Like, I, I remember, like, when I was reading that, I immediately thought of the Hiroki Goto-Toriano match where Goto was given, I think it was a shirt or a towel, and they just threw it back at Toriano, hit a lariat, and then just pinned him right then and there. And A Goto and, match? Yeah. And I said, and I said right after the demand, I said, if any wrestler who is in that position against Toriano from here on out does not do the exact same thing that Goto did at that match, then they're a complete idiot. Because there is no way that you can trust Toriano to not do everything in his power to cheat. Hell, he hell, he, he tried to do that to, today on this match against Tuzuya Naito. That I, now that you bring the point up, now I'm thinking about that you said that exactly the night after Goto beat Yano because I think that was Yano's first loss and that was the, it felt like a turning point. Like, uh, okay, maybe Yano's going to do a different shtick for the latter half of the G1, but he kind of didn't. And he's been, I mean, of course, I'm not saying that the matches haven't been, they're not all the same, but they all follow the same formula more or less. But... um you would think that someone would take a different approach, either the refs or the talent. And I'm thinking in the kayfabe mind, not, you know. So, okay, here's my question. So if we get out of our kayfabe brain and we just get into our creative uh, fan brains, if you were in charge, Carlos, if you were in charge of fixing, the, like remedying this issue, how would you address it in a realistic way? <sighs> And not, the not, way not I would, in a macro, in like a micro way. Let's let's take one example, yeah. like um, it, like let's pick a match, like Jay White and Suzuki. How about mm. that? What would you do in that case if this were a quote unquote uh, authentic, real situation, like real sports situation? It's after kind of seeing all this Bullet Club shenanigans. Like I would say, you know, if 
this, if any of the Bullet Club members is second or anybody second for that matter, either even so much as like looks at the referee funny or phys- or physically gets involved in the match, you know, it you'd have to DQ the guy who had the second out. You know, and, but, if, but if that were the case, Jay Watt and Evil would be like 0 and 8 in this entire tournament. That's right. I feel like if they ever do want to get out of this pattern, they'll have to officially like go on record and maybe do like a little press conference and say, OK, we're changing some sort of rule so that this doesn't happen again. Although that sounds like a completely pain in the ass thing to do. For everyone. So I get why it, it doesn't happen. Yeah. And, and the issue is that unlike real sports, you know, New Japan, for as much as wants to celebrate and amplify the sporting aspect, at the end of the day, it is pro wrestling. And the object is, you know, there is two wrestlers in the ring and one of them is a guy you're supposed to cheer and one of them and the other is a guy you're supposed to boo. So, you know, it's not like the NFL. It's not like basketball. It's not like baseball where... The object is to, you know, sort of be like theater and have a guy that you are supposed to hate. I mean, you know, it's not for as much as you want to try to treat pro wrestling as a sport. At the end of the day, the very nature of it is going to prevent it from being a completely believable uh, sport. So that's why I don't have as much of a problem with the lack of DQs because one, you know, at the end of the day, it's not going to be, it's going to, you know, it's going to be a rampant issue. And I don't think New Japan is ever going to really fix it. And pro wrestling has this, it, not just New Japan, pro wrestling in general has this issue a lot. That's right. And it's, it's a great question from Mark because it's such an open-ended question. And rightfully so, he can be infuriated about some of the, uh, the repetition of these finishes and patterns we see, but just like Carlos said, it's pro wrestling. So we need to, or they need to figure out um, maybe a different way of getting to the answer or getting to the end of a match. Uh, it's, it's and, and playing devil's advocate. I mean, they are heels. So they, one can say, well, I mean, if you don't like all these, you know, wacky chicanery distraction interference finishes then they are kind of doing their job as heels and and they're kind of two thoughts to this like there's the the quote-unquote good heel heat and they're just like the the heat that makes you want to change the tv channel but that's like but that's going to a completely different aspect of pro wrestling in today's era but they're gonna keep doing it because at the end of the day they are heels and their job is to get you to hate them for the next match and eventually build up to whenever they have their comeuppance. It's actually a really good discussion. I feel like we should kind of always check back in to kind of see. I feel like even from the beginning of this G1 till right now, we are talking about it a lot. It is happening and it has been happening. But I have to say that I feel, I don't know if I'm numb to it, but for the Jay White stuff, I don't feel like it's egregious. I feel like Jay White and Gato, they they do it when they need to and they don't linger. 
And sometimes when there's lingering in a match, that there's a lot of distraction where it's just so obvious that something is happening and it's hard to suspend your disbelief when a guy is getting beat up and somehow the referee of all the things in the arena, he doesn't notice that again and again and again. We'll see what happens, but we'll keep the discussion going, I suppose. So thanks, Mark. If anybody has questions, just DM Carlos or I, and we'd love to talk about it on the air. Let's take a quick break from the G1 cast to talk about Indeed. Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. And Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people and fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now, Indeed.com slash BlueWire, and this offer is valid through the end of the year, December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. So from here, let's just jump right into the show. So Young Lions match. I don't have anything more to say than we've said in the past two weeks, except the only point I would say I came, I came to a realization last night. I think after watching Tsuji, Yota, so by the way, Yota Tsuji beat Yuya Uemura in a really strong, emphatic fashion. He really cranked on that Boston crab. Um, but what I realized last night about Tsuji is between his hair and the way he throws his drop kick, the way he kind of walks to the ring, his spear and his football background and his jumping body press that he started using recently. I think we could see maybe a new version of Bruiser Brody or Shinya Makabe, that kind of style, a big brawler monster style. Am I often saying that or could you? I mean, I could see it. I could see it. Put, put some uh, f- a furry vest over him and you got a little, uh, little Brody. I can see that. I mean... You know, Yota has a very unique look as far as size and and the hair, which not many in New Japan have right now. And this is a damn good power wrestler. I mean, it, we, we've seen enough Yota Suji matches. You kind of see what, I don't know if it's fair to say, like the, the Yota Suji formula or the pattern that he has at his matches, but some of the high spots that he does in almost every match are really, really good. I mean, he got the spear. Does the that giant swing that you know it's kind of like similar to what Cesaro used to do, and then transition it into a Boston Crab? That's like that he does really, really well. Because it's not like the usual Boston Crab where you're kind of like crouching, almost like in a in a catcher's position in baseball. Like no, like he just he puts it behind like drives it on his opponent's back and it just and it puts the body at such a weird and uh, you know and i would imagine very painful angle and you know no option to submit yeah it, it looked it looked great and it's when i saw the um giant swing into the Boston crab i'm like 
why hasn't anybody done this already? It seems so like I hadn't even thought of that, but it seems so simple and logical. And that's the kind of when you, you combine that with his charisma, he's gained. I mean, the guy is just he's a stud. It's it's cool to see how great he's done over this tournament. And I'm really excited to see what's going on with him going forward. I, I feel like I'm repeating myself over and over with this, but. Once Friday, Saturday hits, then we'll have a better idea of what's going on. And Wimura looked great, but it wasn't his night. It was a short match. It was a great match for Suji. And that's that. And then we got to the B-block action. And the first match was one of my favorite matches of the night, actually. Because both Kenta and Yoshihashi, they were great in this, but in different ways. Um, Kenta ended up... In the end, he beat Yoshihashi with the game over submission. Um, Carlos, what is your takeaway from this match? It was, you know, it was an all, it was a good match. I, I don't want to say like it's a bad match, but we're now at the problem with that, that I kind of had with the A block, you know, yesterday where we're kind of doing these matches at the lower end of the card that don't really mean anything. Like mm-hmm. it's more just, you know, momentum, I guess, for after the G1. I mean, the, the action here was was good, but I wouldn't say anything was spectacular. The, the striking exchanges between these two were, were, uh, were fun to watch. I love towards the end of the match where Kenta and Yoshihashi were, were trading strikes back and forth. And then Kenta just drops Yoshihashi with like a couple of spinning back fists, which I mean, if, if anybody knows me, I'm a sucker for the spinning back fist or the spinning back elbow, either of the two. And it was a good match. It was a good, it was a good one for Kenta that he needed this win to sort of make sure that he's still a viable contender because you don't want to have him lose too many times especially if he's going to be facing John Moxley for the U S title at some undetermined point in the future. I don't you know, you know, they don't really have much of a problem with this match other than like, you know, lower end of the card, no stakes at all. So it, it is what it is. That's true. If you're not already invested in these guys, I can't say this is a must watch, but I, both of these guys, in particular, for some reason, I really enjoyed watching. I, I can't say all their matches have been great, but I really enjoyed watching them in each match from beginning to end. I can't say Yoshihashi had a bad match at all in this tournament or even a match that was below average. I, I can't really think of it. I think and he was really good and aggressive and he, he felt like a, like a fighter for real tonight. Kenta. So we do have to talk about a, a little bit of this uh, Kenta's new attitude or or this this kind of this thing he has this fixation with Yoshihashi's bow which cracked me up so much when he well, got into I the loved ring his, I love the the smile that he had when he was holding it I, I liked that and I liked when he walked into the ring and it looked like he was about to get in Yoshihashi's face but he just he, he stared down the bow it was so disrespectful to Yoshihashi Um, I liked that. I liked the character stuff. I liked uh, how hard they went. Uh, I was kind of sad to see Yoshihashi. Really, he didn't get one other win out of this, but 
hey, whatever. Uh, yeah, like I like you said, if you're not already invested in either of the guys, nothing is going to happen that will affect what's going on this weekend. So yeah, like you said, it is what it is. But it wasn't bad, and good for Yoshihashi and Kenta for finding their niches in uh, in New Japan more so this year than last year for sure. Um, on to the next match. So the next match. Um, was it Yano or was it the Zack Sabre Juice Robinson match? I can't recall. I think it was a Juice it, Robinson Zack, yeah. It's Zack Sabre Jr. versus Juice Robinson, yeah. Okay. This match I thought was very good. Um I thought it was Juice's best match of the tournament. This or the Naito one. Um how would you feel about this match? I thought it was really good. It was, you know, kind of sort of sort of more or less a story where Juice kind of had Saber's number at the very least, kind of was fully prepared for Saber's technical submission style wrestling. And this was, it was a nice little back and forth where you got Juice, you know, his arm was being targeted throughout the match in the early going. And the idea of Saber and his wrestling, it's so unique. And it's a very fascinating thing whenever you look at a Zack Sabre Jr. match because a lot of wrestlers, they, they, a lot of wrestlers are great and they struggle to have a good match against Zack Sabre Jr. Juice is so versatile that he is able to manage to do very well against a guy like Zack Sabre Jr. And Juice has done well in this tournament, maybe not from a wins and losses standpoint, but He's had some really good matches. I think it's fair to say that his stock went up, even if it was just a little bit coming out of the pandemic. And there was a lot of good wrestling. I think the, like the back and forth and the and Sabre trying his best to do a myriad of different submissions was a fun little thing that, you know, you if you're a fan of Zack Sabre Jr., this is like almost a quintessential match for for you to watch and, and, and juice is very charismatic very talented i don't think we've commented enough on how great of a promo he is by the way because it's sort of a bit of a side note but he is a fantastic promo easily one of the best in the business today but you know match but again like with the last one n- no stakes involved because both of these guys are eliminated from the tournament so if you're a fan, if you're if you're not a fan or invested in either of these guys, you know, you you can still watch it, but just know that there's not going to be anything beyond what we just witnessed. Yeah, I love the point that you brought up at the beginning, where you said it kind of seemed like Juice came prepared, right? And I know I didn't think about it like that, but it, it makes sense because this match was smooth as hell, and it wasn't you know in a smooth in a Zack Saber way. I don't know what it was, but these two were locked in and some of the uh, spots, it's kind of hard to, they're not spots that I recall immediately, but like transitions or counters from one move to another, like jumping up and then Zach catching some, like catching him in an arm bar. But there was no, like, sometimes that can be pretty difficult to even pull off gracefully without, you know, getting somebody's foot in the way. It doesn't look, you know, it looks okay. It looks real. That's how it would be. But man, they looked really great. And juice. 
adapted to Zack's style, but he adapted in his own way. Didn't we didn't see like Juice change himself at all? He he seemed like Juice Robinson in this more than ever, but he was keeping up with Zack in his own way, and I thought that was cool because he he was using this this person this person in the ring he created in New Japan. It's come together and it came to life, especially that night and especially with that Naito match too. But but likewise, like he didn't have to change himself. He adapted himself to the match. And both in the context of kayfabe and outside of it, I think it's cool to think about because he's finding out a way to make it work for him. And that goes for the promos too. I didn't actually, when he started doing those kind of ad lib promos at first, I didn't, I really didn't like it, but I've been, we were talking about it off the air because I was watching a couple and I was like, damn, this guy is really, he's funny. He's honest. He's, and he doesn't, he makes it feel fun and he doesn't insult anybody. Like I'm, I'm the fans feels, it gets you fired up like it's supposed to. And I think he's finding his, his groove. He's, he knows how to be, he knows how to make uh, simple stuff look a little flashier and it's coming through. So good for both of them. Although there was one scary spot. Did you notice the head bump? The accidental. Oh, right. I forgot to mention that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't oh. think it was any, I think I, I rewatched it. And to me, it looked like just miscommunication because both guys, they were looking, it was just bad timing. I don't, did you think it was anybody's fault? I couldn't really tell. I, I think part of it has to do with the, I think it was miscommunication, but the, in, it kind of goes back to my, my earlier point where Zach's style is so unique and it's not something that you can just easily prepare for. And and I, now that I think about it, the, the finish was there was very small, slight communication. Maybe I was overthinking it, but it when right before both of these guys were trading like cradle pins and such, Zack Sabre Jr. looked like he was about to go for a for for a small package or a schoolboy. And he kind of missed and like whiffed a little bit and wasn't able to get a grip on it. And Juice for like a brief like half second stood there and didn't do anything. And then he kind of just transitioned, like positioned himself to then do kind of like the 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 pinfall exchange that ended with Zack Sabre Jr. getting the win. Yeah, there was, it could have, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but they made it work and it didn't feel like, uh, sometimes that happens and then it's, there's an awkward pause and they have to go back into it. This didn't feel like that. It was moving at such a pace where it didn't give us the time to process, uh, what was exactly was going on. And it was smooth enough to kind of pull it off and gave us the payoff at the end. Um, about the head bump, I mean, I, I don't know exactly what happened, but I, I would say that it's like if you're going to do a more realistic style of this of wrestling, like what Zach's I, I don't know Zach's uh, training background. I'm sure he of course he's has training, but like and if you're really doing a triangle choke or an arm bar, you no one would ever like, you know, put their neck and, and head down like that and like hang like that's just um, my my uh what i would immediately do not even thinking would be to come up with juice because you don't want to get slammed and break your neck you want to stand up with them that's just like my intuitive thinking but so if, if they practice more techniques that are uh closer to reality then it might help them protect themselves for real so i think 
it, it could have happened. It depends. It's kind of like a scale where some matches, like a Yano match, is on one end of the scale where it's in fantasy, whereas Zack Saber's match are on the other end of the scale where it's pushing more towards real submission grappling and uh, modern MMA. So, but I, I don't. I that I'm not an expert on like you know, fights or anything. I just that's just my take. I don't want to come off. I, I don't want to come off as sanctimonious. Like I know like, Hey, Zack Sabre, do it. You're just, you know, whatever. I'm just suggesting, I think it could be good. Cause I think people would be, uh, protected more. They'll be safer. And if you're going to do realistic style, mimic the realistic style more, I suppose. That said, it was a great match. Um, Zach got the pin with the European clutch, um, juice. I love juice's reaction after this too. He looked really, um, genuinely distraught and bummed out and he said i love you to everybody on the way back and i think he is a textbook white meat baby face right now yeah yeah man but it's very charismatic and it's his presentation is a little bit different from a traditional white meat baby face Uh, which i think is which i think does help in the sense that it's not going to get monotonous or or boring or in a way that it that becomes like obnoxious a modern take on what we think of as the white meat baby face adapted for japan in 2020 more or less something like that good for juice good for zach i hope zach's okay he looked like he was okay but um yeah that's stuff's scary um yeah i don't even i don't like seeing it it really kind of takes me out of the match i don't know about you but when something like that happens it kind of None of us want to see people actually get hurt. And I think that's why we like wrestling so much. I mean, that's one part that's good. It's like, oh, at the end of the day, I know that they're not trying to break. They're not breaking each other's necks, actually. There's pain and it's physical, but no one wants to see someone get dropped on their head. I digress. How about you, Carlos? Do you get weirded out when you see uh, those botched spots? Uh, a, a little bit, but I don't get weirded out so much if the guys can immediately wrestle and recover because then, you know, mm. it, then it just becomes like a matter of, okay, then they're good, which is simple miscommunication. Because sometimes we look at certain spots and they look really, really dangerous or they look like they hurt a lot, but they either don't or like the a certain camera makes it out to be a lot worse than what we initially thought. So... And, and listen, hell, there's sometimes spots where they look pretty routine and we don't notice, but some guys get hurt like that. Whereas like on the more dangerous spots, both the, you know, guys are relatively fine. That's a good point. Okay. But now the last three, let's move on to the last three. Now let's talk Yano and Naito. Naito won. What was this? What was this? This I loved it. <laughs> I loved it. I, don't know I mean, I, I don't. Okay. So this started, uh, this was kind of chaotic from the beginning. So Hiano was off his rocker screaming that uh, Naito was too slow. You're taking too much time. Too slow. You're too slow. And Naito really, this might have been his longest. We can maybe ask Samsa about this. His longest um, unbuttoning inside the ring. <laughs> It took about, it felt forever. I, I, I remember like walking to my kitchen and walking back and he was still fumbling with his uh, jacket and pissing off Yano. So, okay, Carlos, can you break down in your, what did you see in this match? What did you like about it? 
So remember when I said that the best Yano matches are the ones where the opponent are willing and actively playing along to the Toriano stick. Yes. Yes. This one was that, but cranked up to an 11 where <laughs> Naito was essentially trying to out Yano Yano. Yes. And doing everything in his power to annoy Toriano to the absolute fullest extent. So he was annoying him with taking too long to, to unbutton the shirt. And then when Toriano, both of these guys, they, they try to lock up and both of them just kind of walk away when they're just about to make contact. And, and Yano was trying to look at it. And like, wait, what are you doing? <laughs> and then Yano was just kind of confused at it all and just left the ring. And every time he tries to come back, it, you know, and try to beat the count, Toriano would just be waiting there, like right in front of the ropes. And it was like, very infuriating for Toriano. And in a way, we talk about comeuppance lately this week. And this one, this was kind of like a way of comeuppance for Toriano. Because, yes, he's lost matches, but we've never, but they were either really quick or, you know, it was just the guys, you know, just suddenly picking up the win, one, two, three. But this was like a slow, methodical, like torture for Toriano, which is something that we hadn't seen throughout this tournament. Like he was doing, he was, Naito was even doing the, you know, untying the, the corner padding before Yano did. And when Toriano kind of threw Naito off the rope, Naito, he didn't try to come back. He wasn't like selling anything. He literally just hid like, almost under the ring and just confusing Naito and Toriano because he didn't know where the hell he was. And Naito just kind of slowly made his way back into the ring, almost Pink Panther style to try to do more Yano shenanigans. And we haven't even talked about the best, the best part of the match where Toriano brought out the athletic tape and he got Yotasuji involved where he tied up both Yotasuji and Tetsuya Naito to the guardrail, which I thought to myself, like, oh no, we're gonna see, we're gonna see Toriano Sonata all over again. And I'm like, I can't, I I refuse to believe this is how Sonata uh, Tetsuya Naito loses. And then Naito brings Yotasuji, gets him to not go over the guardrail, but to go through the small space in the in between like the guardrailed well rails and then to beat the count Tori Tetsuya Naito brought Yotasuji into the ring and the both of them did kind of like a, a double lariat of sorts and I absolutely loved how Naito tried to tell Yotasuji come on let's do the LIJ pose and Naito just kind of psychs him out and then power bombs Yotasuji onto Toriano. Like this match was hilarious. Like don't look for this match being like a classic or even like an actual good match. But this was just fun. And, and listen, and Naito, if you really think about it, some of the stuff that he does, it's very, very trollish in a sense. And he's a guy that in these types of matches, he just likes to have fun. And we all know Naito was going to get the win, but 
you know what? He made it damn entertaining, at least in my eyes. I did like the finish. I thought the Suji, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Suji interference, what the inadvertent, unintentional Suji interference was a good way to end it. I think I've just in my life, and especially when it comes to some of these G1s, I think I've just had enough of Toriano in my life. Like it's too dopey. Like well, he, it's too dopey. I don't know. It's just that's me. That's my. T- I just Naito was really good in this. He was funny. This was if you like Toriano, this was maybe one of his best matches. Although I like the Kenta match quite a lot too. And Zach I, I too. Still, I still prefer the, the Kenta match a lot more. Yeah. Well, not a lot more, but but I do think that it's still easily my number one. If if you're a Yano fan, yeah, you got to check this out. If you're not, go. You can skip to the next match. But um, you know, we're about to get to the final, so that's just how it's going to be. Um, but yeah, that was it. And then we had a break and went to the last three. That was beginning of the last three matches. Then we had Goto, Hiroki Goto, and Evil. Evil is just on a tear. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, this was a. This was one of the better evil matches, and I credit that more to Goto because Goto, I think in a lot of people's eyes, it, I think it's fair to say, Justin, that Goto's a very it's an underrated worker. When you when you look at the the entire New Japan roster, not a lot of people talk about Hiroki Goto as you know one of the best workers or one of the best wrestlers, but he is a guy that it's kind of like a poor man's she who can have a really good match with most of the guys on the roster. I mean, he was in the finals only four years ago with Kenny Omega. I mean, he was, uh, he, he has, and tonight uh, that his match with evil, I thought was really good. And I feel like they've had a couple matches before. I don't know if it was either G one or on some of the bigger events, but for some reason they have good chemistry together and Goto was really good in this. Evil was great, but he didn't do anything uh, out of the ordinary. He was just kind of on, like he, he's been on. But um, Goto was, it was a great performance. If if you're hesitant on watching this match, I mean, it's probably what you expect, but it's it was better than what I expected. It was higher intensity than what I expected, even though we all kind of know that Evil is going in uh, probably to the block finals with Naito, but... And, and had your bells and whistles of an evil match. Dick Togo interfering, like, almost from the very beginning of the match. And then, you know, it's... This was your typical evil match, but this was... But it was a slightly better uh, Hiroki Goto match, if that kind of makes any sense. There was one thing I noticed that was in the match, and they did talk about it a little on commentary and I looked at the pictures online and the pictures make it look as though that Gabriel Kidd might get involved with Hiroki Goto somehow as they're both trained they're like LA Dojo connection and there was a point in this match where Evil was beating on Goto and Gabriel Kidd who's outside the ring started uh, pounding on the uh, on the apron to get you know the crowd pumped up and <laughs> Evil looked at him and he, he gave pointed at him like, hey, don't do that. And he started doing it more and more. And then they started talking about the connection between Goto and Kid. And while they're not saying anything directly, maybe we could see some World Tag League action next month between Goto and Gabriel Kid might enter. I could see that. And it could be great for both of them. But who knows? You're going to need teams. And True. Yeah. I mean, New Japan's 
tag division is very, very thin, but for the heavyweight and junior heavyweight, I mean, why not get some young lions involved? Yeah, that plus it's going to be hard to get anybody from outside the country still. I mean, you can, but it takes a long time. And it, if you didn't practice or not practice, if you didn't prepare, uh, it had enough uh, ahead of time. It's just not going to happen. So we might see a lot of the same faces from G1 in World Tag League, I imagine. But um, who knows? Yeah, and I think we we mentioned Evil One and yes, Evil is right now technically in the driver's seat to win the block because Evil is just win and you're in, mm. while the other two guys, Sonata and and Naito, both need a win and the other guy to lose. All right, one more break before we get back to the G1 cast with Justin and Carlos. We're talking about Bet Online. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all in one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. That's exciting, though, because of what happened in the next match. So we, we could just move to it right now. Sanana defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi in well, I, this was maybe Tanahashi's second best match of the G1 behind Naito's on the first night. Um, this was great. This was quite long, too. They went 26, 27 minutes. Um, I felt like it was going long from the beginning, too. Uh, this, I noticed, I was scrolling through Twitter, and the Japanese uh, t- uh, kind of fans and pundits really enjoyed this match. This was, especially towards the end, where it was. there's a lot of uh, uh, adjectives like beautiful and graceful were thrown around a lot. So uh, we were talking a little bit before about how you like this the best, too, on the card. Um, what did you think about this? And, and going forward with Sonata and Naito kind of makes a, a interesting story, doesn't it? Yeah. And, you know, it, going into the match, this was there was a lot of great moments in this match. I love Sonata getting the... The trying to go for a paradise lock onto Tanahashi, which I don't think I've ever seen Tanahashi in the paradise lock before. And I thought, like, man, that, that would have been an interesting uh, visual. Tanahashi going through, you know, doing a couple of uh, dragon screws. Both of these guys actually going for dragon screws, which, and, you know, Tanahashi matches, you're, you're probably going to get a, a dragon screw here and there. The high fly flow. The Tanahashi hit on Sonata. My God, that was that was fantastic. Like, would you say it was maybe arguably the best high flight flow in this G1? The one in the ring or the, the plancha high flight flow to the floor? The, the plancha high flight flow. Oh, yeah. Uh, I noticed that, too. I, I have to go back and look, but I remember being worried a little bit like, there was a narrow space and they kind of landed. I mean, it was perfect more or less, but it was 
in between, it's always a crapshoot. I feel like, um, especially if it's a new, like this is a new venue. So they're at Yokohama Budokan. This is like the, one of the first shows and it was supposed to be used for the Olympics. So it's kind of like you, he probably didn't know exactly where he might land because it's a new arena. The, the guardrails are maybe closer. I don't know, but he's Tanahashi. He did it. Yeah. Yeah. This really felt like in the vein of the Naito match, it was just perfect pro wrestling in a lot of ways. And Sonata, man, this guy can jump so freaking high with those uh, leapfrogs. I don't know how he does it. I, he, he could dunk, I think. I think he yeah. could dunk. It's amazing. He's arguably, I think you can make a strong case that he's the best athlete in New Japan right now. Yeah, just as as a pure athlete. I mean, he's he's like a kind of Seth Rollins. Like, he probably can go for an hour. You know what I mean? Like, about the quality and every all the other uh, essentials about being a wrestler, I'm not talking about that. Just in terms of like athletic ability, between like conditioning and probably raw talent he had and he's born with. I mean, he does pretty much everything, and he had the crowd going. Uh, that crowd really wanted Sanada to win. That was that was the story. It seemed like it was a Sanada chant the whole time. So Sanada, I don't know how his popularity here, but. In Japan, always around this time, he might have his chance and we'll see what happens. But I, I can't really see him picking up a win over Naito. Could you? I, I couldn't. I mean, he technically already did. But as far oh, as oh, the title right, match. Right. Oh, my God. Yeah, I forgot about that. That's yeah, but, that was a non, but, but it was a non-title match. So I think the important question, can he beat him in an actual title match? So it, like that kind of remains to be seen. But uh, Wardle, quick note, finish of the match was actually really, really good. So both of these guys kind of trade skull ends back and forth. Uh, you know, every time they do, it's in one of these skull end, you know, trades throughout this G1. It's always a really fun visual. Then Tanahashi go for a high fly flow and Sonata turned it into like, I think almost like a, a like a TKO if I recall correctly. And yeah. then he gets two consecutive moonsaults, which they've really been putting the moonsault over in this G1. So curious to see what the, if he does this against evil on Saturday. I think all these little, like the finishing sequences to some of these, the more important matches, especially like this, I feel like there are always callbacks the move callbacks from match to match so if you can remember certain sequences or certain times certain things happened or worked or didn't work they tried it in this match but they're trying it in this match it doesn't work um i know it's vague but it's often the case so i i I don't think it's i don't think we're overthinking i think it's just a different style of wrestling where you have to think a lot because it's based on what goes on in the ring and not other bs outside the ring it's yeah that's the difference and not to mention that there was a lot of drama especially at the very end because they were very close to the 30 minute time limit they were at around 28 and a half minutes so they were like 90 seconds from the match ending in a time limit draw which would have eliminated Sonata from the tournament altogether, if I recall correctly. Unless some, actually, no, I don't think it would have eliminated him outright, but he would have needed additional help. Yeah. 
Yeah, the, the last the last few minutes of this were great. This was I would say this is Sanada's best match all year. I can't think of a better match he's had off the top of my head. This was this was very good. But I, I imagine him and Naito are going to tear it down. Um, yeah, it seems like a lot of this week we've seen some serious uh, some wrestlers really kind of kick it into full gear for sure. It's kind of like like Okada. I think Okada immediately. It's like wow, he was really kind of playing Roger Federer right now, just kind of not really trying. I'm not, not, no, that's not it. He's trying, but he's showing that he doesn't have to go a hundred percent. He's showing that he can deliver a quality match at 70%, which is really smart because if you want to have a balls out great match, you can't go a thousand percent all the time. You just, it's just not going to happen. So I digress. I digress. Um, yeah. And that's the show. So, Carlos, can you break down the finals for this Friday? We got a big show on Friday. Yep. So, it's going to be the first of three shows at Sumo Hall. So, it's going to be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Friday is going to be Yota Suji versus Gabriel Kidd. Then we go into the A-block matches, the ones that do not matter. Jeff Cobb versus Yujiro Takahashi. Shingo Takagi versus Minoru Suzuki. And then the second half of the show, it's going to be the three matches that will decide what will be the A-block representative in the final. So it starts off with Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay. Both of these guys need a win and for Kota Ibushi and JY to lose, but in the case of Okada, if he wins and the other two guys lose, then he wins the, the block outright. But if Osprey wins and then Ibushi and Jay White loses, then we have a three-way tie and New Japan has not said what the final tiebreaker would be, although I would venture... You know, I, I would guess that it would probably be like a three-way match on Sunday. And then you have Kota Ibushi versus Taichi, whereas Ibushi needs a win and a Jay White loss to win the A block. And then lastly, Tomohiro Ishii versus JY, where JY can win the, the A block outright with just a win. So it's a win and you're in type of situation for Jay White. If Jay White doesn't win, is he out or is he still in? If it depends. So if Jay White loses, he will need Kota Ibushi to lose and will Osprey to win because that would force the three-way tie. But mm. if Jay White loses and Kota Ibushi wins, then Kota wins just on points and the tiebreaker over Kazuchika Okada because Ibushi did beat Okada. That's right. There's a lot of different ways this can go. So I guess that's all we can say. We have to just wait and tune in on Friday for this weekend. This is it. This is it. Yeah. B, B Block also, B Block also has a very similar type of scenario where Naito, they have not announced uh, announced the, the match order, but just a super quick, you know, look at the B Block and what, and what is left. So, Evil is facing Sonata. Evil can win the block outright with a win over Sonata because Evil has the tiebreaker win over Tetsuya Naito. Naito is going up against Kenta. And if Naito wins, he will need 
evil. Actually, no, he will need Sonata, either a Sonata win or a Sonata draw, which would give Naito the B block win outright just based on points. And then I minor correction on my part, because Zack Sabres Jr. is still technically not mathematically eliminated as far as I know, because I believe what would need to happen for Sabre is to kind of force a will, a similar Will Osprey type of situation where he needs Sonata to win and he needs Naito to lose in order to force a bizarre four-way draw, which I think it's way too much math for even New Japan to kind of decipher. Whew. Well, as we often don't see the crazy situations unfold. So I'm going to lean to the side of this is maybe going to look like as we expect it to look like right now. But I can't say that. I say it 90% because Gato has the swerve power. And I this was been, this has been said to be a big show, quote unquote, big show. Okay. They never say that. So something, whatever happens, something is happening or something's going down. So um, if you're going to watch any New Japan show, this is what New Japan usually does before Wrestle Kingdom. This is going to be, I think, like the go-home show for Wrestle Kingdom. No, not really in the go-home show, but like the last big event before that, because that's it, right? It's October. They're going to do the Tag League and the Junior thing next month, and then it's going to be Wrestle Kingdom season. So I think whatever happens this weekend will build, will be this beginning of the build to Wrestle Kingdom. It's like kind of like when Royal Rumble is the the reset point and from Royal Rumble to WrestleMania is the, the WrestleMania build you more or less. That's how I think of from this weekend. And we'll have Fumi Saito to uh, break down everything with us too. So, all right, Carlos, is there anything else that I'm forgetting to, I feel like we're almost there. I can't even, uh, I feel like I don't know what I'm going to do after this. Well, we got three shows left, so we're, we're at the home stretch. <laughs> okay. So for Carlos, I'm Justin. We will see you on, or not see you, but you will hear us on Friday. <laughs> see ya.